Ingram Smith, Bud Elliott, back again for another episode of the Nullcast, Bud. We've got some, <laughs> we've got some new news, uh, some unexpected news. Uh, we've got still have a decent amount of questions to cover based off what we've received over the past couple of days, and we've got a second week of the college football landscape to kind of observe and try to make sense of and piece together with what we saw in week one. So uh, still kind of a, a bye week show, kind of emerging from the bye week. So it'll be a little bit of a different format than the kind of our standard weekly shows as we get into the, the full flow of things. But what doesn't change is that we always thank our friends at Louisiana Hot Sauce, Three Simple Ingredients, one fantastic product, title sponsor of the Nolcast. And with that, uh, but I thought, you know, not to not to break my back or break my hand for patting ourselves on the back. I thought we did a good job during the the low months of <laughs> the past six to eight months. And I thought that we did some episodes that probably weren't the most enjoyable to listen to, but were particularly thorough. And we looked at just about everything in the world, tried to figure out what could happen, what might happen. Damn, if we didn't touch the scenario where the head coach gets COVID. And of course, Florida State's head coach would get COVID. So Mike Norvell, first, uh, you know, big major program head coach to test positive for the coronavirus. And as all of, if you're a diehard enough fan to be listening to a podcast like this, you're well aware at this point that he is uh, probably not going to be, or that he's not going to be coaching on the sideline and will miss the Miami game. Yeah, uh, unfortunate news for, for Mike Norvell. I feel like this guy just cannot catch a break. You know, a, a lot of this stuff that has happened to him so far in his tenure seems to be out, out of his control. I mean, a little bit within his control, obviously. Uh, a lot of us have, have had the Rona already. Not trying to downplay the seriousness of it, obviously, if you're somebody with a compromised immune system, it's potentially, you know, pretty bad for you. Um, most people do seem to get over it. So I, I'm going to operate here under the assumption that that health-wise, he's, he's going to be fine and, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll pivot if that's not the case, but you know, he, he seemed to be in good spirits today on the zoom call uh, that, that he had with the obvious exception of the fact that he's not going to be able to coach his football team. Uh, we did go over kind of what would happen. Um, Chris Thompson will act as the head coach on game day. He is the, the deputy head coach for Florida state and also the, uh, the tight, tight ends coach. He, he was Gary Patterson's number two at TCU for a while. And I think he'll you know, he'll probably do a fine job, and that's that's who Mike wants running it. Uh, Kenny Dillingham will call the plays. If you recall, uh, I Dillingham gave the quote that they were of one mind, Ingram. So uh, probably should not uh, have you know too much drop off if you believe that. But look, clearly Norvell is a very sharp offensive mind and a guy who is an experienced head coach. And not having him on your sideline, uh, it, it will hurt Florida State. How much? I'm not sure, uh, but it's also just going to be a weird thing going into your first rivalry game uh, as a head coach and, and not being able to coach it. And I'm fairly certain, unless some kind of rule gets changed, that he's not going to be able to uh, to coach from home, and he's not going to be with them on the trip. Certainly not in the stadium, as far as far as I know. Uh, so I, I don't anticipate some kind of Hugh Freeze situation here, where Hugh Freeze was coaching from the hospital bed or the type of situation we had in Mississippi High School. Two weeks ago, where the guy was coaching from the, uh, the, the did you see this from, from the crane? He, he, had, he had the quarantine, and so he was he was coaching from from high above, uh, which is which is kind of interesting and perhaps dangerous. Uh, so, man, it, it just sucks for Norvell. Just another real example of why we need to treat this as a year zero, and and not to go totally off topic, but I, I put out my buds bets column today on twenty four seven sports com. You guys can read it there. I'm, eight and four on the year against the spread, which is awesome. And to be honest, I'm like, I have no idea if this will continue, right? I have no real feel for this season yet at all. It's very difficult to evaluate these teams. And Justin Fuente today, who's had a really tough time with the COVID stuff up there at Virginia Tech, he got asked on his Zoom call, and I saw some clips from it as I was going around the ACC, and somebody asked him, like, he's going to have a full roster. And he laughed. He's like, well, uh, what, what do you mean by full roster? Like everybody on our roster going to be okay? Or like, do you mean like, are we going to have enough, enough guys to where we don't have to forfeit the game? Yo, that it just, it just hits home to me in yet another way. How, how weird this year is and how I, I'm just appreciative as somebody who makes my living on college football, uh, that we're actually playing any type of college football. And, and I'm very much, uh, not judging results this year, especially not if you are, are a new head coach. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a very, it's just a wild year. And I think he said, you know, or something in the likes of, 
what I look forward to is the next round of test so that I can know what my, what my roster is actually going to look like. And uh, damn, if that isn't the truth and how many people are just kind of hanging in, hanging in limbo as to what ultimately, uh, you know, their squad will look like. And obviously Mike Norvell won't be doing this, but I would be ashamed of myself if we got to talk about a coach uh, who could either coach from afar or possibly disguise and, remind uh, our listeners of the disguise that one Bobby Valentine wore in 1998 after being ejected from a baseball game. So a little bit dated, but it's still one of the more hysterical things that took place in professional sports where he dons a black t-shirt, glasses, hat, and a fake mustache and sits in his uh, dugout. So maybe, maybe in time. What team was that against? Was that against the Braves? Uh, you know, I don't remember if that was against the Braves or not, but uh it's a, a night, a night to be remembered. Certainly, you know. I was thinking about this. That there's a, a literary uh, device where, where where you switch the the first letter of, of, of a first and last name, Jensen Weymus, right? Or uh, instead of Mike Norvell, you could have Nike Morvell. And Nike is basically Nike. So I wonder if Nike could could get in with, with Norvell and do like a spoof on the concept and, and shoot like a funny little uh, little commercial or something like that. Um, who knows? Just just having some fun with this. Unfortunately, it does suck for for Coach Norvell and those guys. And we'll see how this team handles it. We're not going to get too much into the Miami preview tonight, uh, but I did want to kind of just discuss that at the out at the outset. There's not there's not a whole lot more to say about this. I, I don't think it's like yeah, he can't be a practice. He can actually view practice from a number of different camera angles that that he can watch from his home. He can be in all the Zoom meetings all week. He can address the team. If he cannot address the team on game day right before the game, uh, then my guess is that he would probably record some kind of message to them, you know, and, and they can watch it in the locker room. That, that, that is my anticipation. Florida State has not announced that, but it, it would just make sense to me, obviously, that you would, you'd want to do something if you can't do it live. That's a good call. That's a good call. The way they kind of laid it out today was that basically Norville would be able to go through the entirety of the week with as much of a normal pattern as possible until pretty much they departed from the team hotel day of game. And then it would more or less be a disconnect. But, uh, you know, you and I, I think are share a common belief that like pregame speeches and stuff don't do a whole lot for you after maybe four or five plays. And I don't think that, uh, I'm a, I'm a big believer in those things either, but you know, you get to feel that Norvell is the type of guy who loves the experience, loves going through the entirety of process and really, uh, you know, tries to, tries to look guys in the eye during particular moments and, and tries to get the absolute most out of them. Not as though any other coach doesn't, but uh, you can tell there's a lot of energy. There's a lot of passion. And uh, I'm sure that the idea that he's coaching at Florida state and some crazy ass series of events means that he's coaching at Florida state yet not able to coach uh, with his team in the first Miami game is, uh, is just yet another thing that nobody else would have ever been able to even, you know, have, have a concept of prior to 2020. So. With that, we'll move forward. Something that we've had a concept of for quite a while here on the Nolcast is the Noel Loans Program. Shannon Young, just an awesome job, man. You, you call him up. I think we cracked 80 today, by the way, because he, he sent me yet another email. And he said, hey, bud, got some more shirts. Uh, and so we're actually going to shout out Jason, uh, Jason in Tallahassee, who is closing on his home this week. Thanks to Shannon, 844-FSU-LOAN, 844-FSU-LOAN. So he'll be getting a men's large for me the next time I run down to FedEx. It's a great, great rate. Awesome ability to, to, to grab those rates from, from wherever they need to get them. Customer service, knowledge of the industry, and, and a little Knowles talk, uh, which this this time of year might be a little bit of, of commiseration with some fellow Knoll fans. And, and Shannon uh, is absolutely a diehard there. So give them a call, 844-FSU-LOAN and join that Knollcast Loan family. You want to go a little, uh, little round the ACC? I kind of want to keep this just to teams on Florida State's schedule uh, this year, but most of the ACC teams uh, were in action uh, this past week. Yeah, I mean, I think, um, you know, obviously we had the the one delay with uh, with UNC, uh, but we can talk about almost every team that's on the front half of uh, Florida State's schedule at this point. I don't know that uh, I'll want to speak a whole lot about Notre Dame. They kind of looked to be the team that we thought they were going to be and just kind of uh, – uh, another team that you know we knew going into the year that Florida State wasn't going to be real competitive with, and I think you don't want to jump too much from the first two weeks, but that's kind of been confirmed, at least from my point of view. Yeah, I, I think that's exactly right. What team do you want to start with? Uh, let's go to Georgia Tech. I mean, I certainly, you know, a lot of people uh, 
asked us if we think we would have changed uh, our thoughts about Florida State or about Georgia Tech, and uh, not a whole lot. Although I will say that there's man, there certainly is a, a young you know, young skeleton there that they can work around and build around. And you can see the, the, the project that Collins has to sell. Uh, and you can also see how fortunate, in my opinion, Florida State was to not have to play against the kid from Dalton, uh, Jameer Gibbs. But, uh, you know, also a team that had its kind of had the warts and some of the problems that we had talked about leading up to, to week one confirmed. Uh, I don't think Georgia Tech's some great team. Uh, I just think Florida State had a particularly poor effort and uh, UCF kind of kind of confirmed that to some extent this weekend. Yeah, so UCF is, is a team that uh, that no, knows what it wants to do on offense. It, it's very comfortable in its system. It has a decent number of returning starters that they've recruited to their system very well, and and, and they're they're good at scoring points. Uh, in that game, what I saw was that Georgia Tech was selling out uh, to try to get tackles for loss and and to try to get uh, try to get UCF off schedule to create those longer down and distances. So that UCF's play action game would not be as effective. And, and look, to Georgia Tech's credit, occasionally it did get those tackles for loss. But I feel like uh, it was almost a, as if you know, you're, you're a slap hitter who was going out there and trying to hit the home run. Uh, you would strike out a lot. And, and indeed, uh, it, it was almost as if Georgia Tech ended up landing body blows. And UCF was repeatedly landing headshots, and and Georgia Tech wore themselves out a little bit, landed body blows by the by the end of the game when UCF kept running uh, the tempo they did. They just it was not you know that's when the game really got away from them. Yeah, I, you know, Ingram. Uh, one of my main concerns coming out of the Florida State Georgia Tech game for FSU was that, was that I really thought that Georgia Tech's defensive line uh, was was not good just based on who they didn't have in the game. And ultimately, I, I still think that's that's true, which does scare me a little bit going forward because I, I think that Florida State is going to face probably six defensive lines on its remaining schedule who are definitely better than what Georgia Tech trots out there. Uh, so that, that is that is somewhat scary. They were able to get seven tackles for loss uh, on, on 92 plays uh, against UCF. So that's really not a very good rate for Georgia Tech and the explosive plays that uh, that Georgia Tech allowed. Th- this is something that really it struck me too. Remember that Florida State had just a completely unexplosive day. They, they, they were just uh, neutralized by Georgia Tech and, and they couldn't hit, hit anything down the field. They didn't pop any explosive runs at all. Here are the explosive plays for UCF against that same Georgia Tech defense. Ready? 49, 21, 24, 48, 19, 25, 25, 40, and 24 through the air. Let's switch to the ground. 15, 21, 13, 12, 23, 13, 17. No, that's depressing. I mean, that, that is depressing. And and the one thing from just the eye test, just watching five minutes of that game, you went, my Lord, UCS wide receivers are so much better than what Florida State's putting out on the field right now. So much better. I mean, it's it's just light years as to – what one school's getting out of that position group and what Florida State has. Um, you know, obviously, we're, sample size is small. Pretty disappointing. Uh, let's go ahead and review the, the chunk plays that Florida State had against Georgia Tech, just, just for comparison purposes. Through the air, 27-17, 24-18. On the ground, 16. Yeah, much, much, much shorter list there. Uh, so I would say that is a kind of a newfound concern that I have developed for them is, is the inability to hit explosive plays in this offense. Now, it's just one game. And if, if Warren Thompson can catch the freaking ball or if Tamari and Terry can catch you know, the, the one ball that, that he dropped, maybe we're not having this discussion. But I will say that one of the areas that I thought I could count on Florida State in their offense this season was hitting some explosive plays. And we talked about this, I think, in multiple preseason shows was, look, this offense is probably not going to be consistent. It is unlikely to have the blocking to be consistent and drive the football on methodical drives and finish them off. It's probably going to be an offense that has to rely on chunk plays. Uh, Unfortunately here, through one game, and and you're comparing it to UCF, which is a very explosive offense, that they they run that Kendall Browell system, or, well, Art Browell system, basically. It makes me question if this offense can be explosive. And if, if this offense cannot be explosive, then it cannot be anything. Because it certainly is not going to develop the ability to be consistent and, and you know, efficient on a down-to-down basis. 
Two teams that are in the first half of uh, Florida State's schedule. Obviously, Miami is this week. Louisville shortly thereafter. Uh, what'd you What'd you take away from the Saturday night primetime game, Pud? So I was able to watch most of this ball game live, uh, and then I went back and watched it a little bit um, because I, I I do write our every game reviewed ACC feature on twenty four seven Sports. You know, I, I had a couple things. Number one, I, I was very skeptical that Louisville's defense was going to be that much improved. I, I'm of the opinion that Louisville made huge improvements last year, largely from going from a head coach who, who you know, the team quit on in Bobby Petrino to a coach in Scott Satterfield who, who that Louisville team believed in. But it's much harder to get that same level of improvement in, in year two as it was in year one because there's not that, that huge ground you can just easily make up by players giving a damn and by believing in a head coach. And I really question their talent on the defensive side of the ball. And and I don't think I'm wrong about that. But in watching this game, I'm I'm very confident that Miami has a, a competent, at least decent offense with a pretty good college quarterback in Derek King. At the same time, some of the plays that Louisville gave up were really just huge coverage busts, man. Uh, there, there was a good stat out there, and I'm – I'm, I'm trying to find it now, and I, I don't think I can. So I'm going to just just kind of do this on the fly here. Somebody said, "Take a look at the at the three biggest plays for Miami, which were on busts: 75 yard touchdown pass, 47 yard touchdown pass, 75 yard touchdown run. That's essentially 200 yards, right, of offense on three plays. Now." The point they were making, I forgot who said this, but I thought it was an interesting point, was that if you take away those 200 yards from Miami's total offense, they only have 285 yards on their remaining 59 plays, which is 4.8 per play, which is not very good against the Louisville defense that we don't think is very good. However, I would counter, and we saw this last year with Kendall Browse, that offense is, which is basically, you know, similar to what Miami is running, except they're, it's a little more Malzani, uh, under Rhett Lashley, but, but it's, it's a kind of similar thing. That offense with the tempo at which it operates is designed to create some of those freebies. Florida State got them last year. Pretty much all those offenses get them. UCF got them some against Georgia Tech. So I, I don't think that you can take the approach hey, Miami won't get those against this defense or that defense or, or that defense. They're going to get some. They may not get as many. And as we know, the teams don't really have the ability to control how explosive a play is that they give up. This is something we know. It, it's essentially, it, it, it's an issue of magnitude. You have a decent amount of control over how many explosive plays you give up. You don't really have a whole lot of control over, hey, we gave up a 25-yard play, but not a 75-yard play. If you let somebody, it's kind of like you don't really have any control over whether the opponent returns a pick six or not. You think you do, but it's it's a lot more random game to game than you want to believe. Miami had a very low success rate rushing the football in this game. Now, their their yards per carry were, were not bad, but again, they had one carry go for 75 yards. Uh, De'Aaron King threw the ball pretty well here. Their receivers are, at this point, Really not much of a threat. They have had similar similar drop issues to what Florida State has encountered, but they've had two games of it. In fact, in this game, Miami uh, had 18 targets to receivers for only 99 yards, which is pretty horrible, and yet they put up 47 points on Louisville. I, I don't think that Louisville is, is that much better than they were last year. I think Miami is a good bit better than they were last year on offense, and I'm not convinced Miami's defense is as good as it was last year, but I think the the jump in Miami's offense far outpaces any kind of step back that it might be having on defense personally. But I guess we'll see more as the season unfolds there. Does that make sense? Like like their defense may not be quite as good, but I think that to go from just abysmal on offense to like like decent, maybe good is probably a bigger step up. No, I mean, they, they appear to be borderline competent so far. Uh, you know, certainly, I think you bring up a good point that that kind of system and, and that whole, you know, the whole system is built off putting stress on on the defense. And occasionally that stress, you know, leads to, to the big chunk play. And that's really kind of what the design and and some of the, uh, you know, some of what you give away by, by when it's not there. Um, did you see the Pitt-Syracuse game? Uh, you know, I think 
that's not something that we're going to spend a, a ton of time looking at. But Pitt is a, you know, put, Pitt's a decent football team. We talked about their defense. Uh, their quarterback Pickett is uh, is a decent player, and uh, Pitt is, you know, I just get the feeling that Pitt's gonna gonna make you earn it. And uh, they're not anything special, but they're kind of a, you know, kind of in that second tier of AC teams. Maybe maybe in the in the middle level of the second tier, but they've got some nice pieces. They do. Uh, Pitt's defensive line is unbelievably good. They, they, there's a decent chance that all four Pitt starters on, on the D line get drafted. Um, they have an argument for, for the best defensive line in the league. It is a little bit tough for me to judge what's going on in a Pitt game when they're playing Syracuse. And I say that because I saw Syracuse also play against the North Carolina defense that I think is, is not as bad as it was the prior year. Syracuse has now allowed 14 sacks in two games. Vito gets knocked out. Uh, their backup actually comes back, comes in and has a, a brief window of success kind of to that point. They had a passes thrown to sack ratio of three and a half to one. <laughs> that is freaking ridiculous. Like, like, okay, seven sacks. If, if you're throwing 50, 52 times, like one of these old Mike Leach teams at Texas Tech or something, seven sacks is still bad. Seven sacks when you only throw 24 passes is I, I just like my brain can't really process that. Like that is, that is wild to me. I don't think I've ever seen that in back-to-back games in, 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 in the ACC. Uh, DeVito gets knocked out. Syracuse has 171 yards of total offense and they had 69 of that on one play. So basically their other 57 plays they ran went for 102 yards. Now think about that. Like we just talked about, hey, if you take out some of these explosive plays for Miami that were on bus, blah, 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 blah. They were at like 4.8 on the rest of them, which is not great, but it's not the worst thing in the world. Syracuse is legitimately like the worst thing in the world level here. That 102 yards on the remaining 57 plays is 1.8 per play, dude. They were two of 14 on third down. Syracuse just cannot block. And I wonder if DeVito's healthy. On the other side, I will say that Syracuse's defense is surprising me how well they're playing, given how many times that the offense is putting them in horrendous spots. And they switched to a 3-3-5 defense in the offseason, which apparently nobody on their staff except for the defensive coordinator had ever run, which was very concerning to me in the preseason. And yet they've been largely fine. I mean, they held Pitt to 4.3 yards of play. Pitt struggled to run the football. Kenny Pickett, the quarterback, was confused at times. I mean, 36 throws for 215 is certainly not very good. I just can't trust Syracuse at all. The thing is, Florida State does not play Syracuse this year. This is kind of what I was talking about when I said Florida State might not have might not be the worst team in the ACC, but there's a couple teams who probably are, and they don't get to play any of them. Or, well, uh, at least most of them. Did you, uh, did, you, did you get a chance to catch that Notre Dame game? Uh, I did see the Notre Dame game, and I just think that they are physical and and impressive. I mean, uh, their two games so far this year, uh, I've been impressed by what they've what they've had to offer. Yeah, I, my, my my lone real question with them is is one that might not come up a whole lot against Florida State, uh, but they 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 might have an explosiveness issue on the outside, and uh, so I. I I'm going to continue to monitor that. They have uh, receivers, Braden Lindsey, who was back for this game, and Kevin Austin, who I believe was still out. We'll see what they look like when they get those back. USF, uh, unfortunately for them, just cannot throw the football yet again. They have a couple linemen out still with, I, I, I think, uh, COVID stuff. And I, I, I bet Notre Dame pretty heavily in this one, minus the 26. And Yeah, had to feel pretty good about that. Yeah, and, you know, part of it was I, I saw the inability of USF to block Citadel the week before, which I thought was a major red flag. <laughs> you know, it's like mm, Notre Dame is a pretty good defense. Citadel does not. Yeah, um, like two point eight yards per per pass attempt is not really going to get it done there for USF. Notre Dame's a, a very good team. I, I do think they're they are at this point the clear cut number two team in the ACC. Um, that's not to say that Miami or or UNC cannot make. The ACC title game against Clemson, but but I, I I feel pretty good in saying that Notre Dame is is the number two team in this league right now. What was a fifty two to nothing? Was that the final score there? Uh, yeah, 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 fifty two to nothing. They they USF never really threatened. USF also 
had a punt blocked and then a bad snap punt. So uh, Notre Dame had a fortuitous field position early in the ballgame to kind of set the tone. I think that's pretty much it. Duke, oh, did you see Duke this weekend? I mean, not, not to make this segment quite so long, but I don't know. I thought it'd be a cool bi-week segment to check in on how, how these other teams are looking. I uh, can't say that I saw Duke, no. So Duke, man, Duke, very David Cutcliffe team, right? You know, typically well-disciplined. They don't commit a lot of penalties. They don't do a lot of stupid stuff. To the extent that you control turnovers, and we know turnovers are kind of random, they had five turn. They were negative five in turnovers uh, this week. Not the best. They had one drive where they were driving it down. Looks like they were going to score against Boston College. And they get personal fouls on not back-to-back plays, but two out of three plays. So they end up having a fourth and 41 uh, and, and ha- have to punt to end that drive. And BC basically did nothing for quite a while in this game. But Duke just totally pissed down its pant leg and ultimately gave the Eagles enough opportunities to get it together. And they ended up hitting some absolute bombs, including on, on a, a huge coverage bust for like 70 yards. And uh, Boston College beat them 26 to 6 in Durham. It was a very like non Cutcliffe style coach game. Let's see that final week, bud. Got a, got a chance for a reasonably confident win there against, uh, against Duke if things hold. So. Good little look around uh, the ACC and, and what is on the immediate radar for Florida State. We talked about this a lot on the last pod, so don't want to spend a ton of time on it, but we will uh, talk recruiting here. Uh, before we do that, I want to thank our friends at, at Madison Social. Uh, been with us since day one, as we're fond of reminding everyone. Uh, great open-air options at, at uh, Township and, and Madso there if you're making your way uh, to a game or if you just find yourself in Tallahassee, uh, fantastic supporters of the Nolcast, fantastic addition, uh, plus addition to the experience it is being a Florida State athletic uh, supporter in general. And uh, to Matt, his team, and everybody associated with the Table Restaurant Group, uh, we thank you for being able to work with you yet again and uh, look forward to seeing you guys soon. Absolutely. Best of luck to those guys, and, and y'all keep, keep coming and checking them out. It's awesome. So recruiting-wise, we did cover it a lot in the last pod. I don't really have any updates. Uh, Rod Orr, again, if he commits uh, this week or, or next, uh, will um, I, 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 my pick is in for Florida State. Uh, I asked a couple sources, and they said, yeah, if he's going to do it this soon, we expect it to be Florida State. Um, speaking of offensive tackles, Florida State did offer uh, Zen Mikulski, uh, who is a player we discussed on this podcast several times, actually. and. Uh, they ended up. Uh, they ended up finally offering him. I, you know, th- this one. I I think they're late on. To be honest, I I, I gave him credit for offering Rodor when they did before. You know, some other major teams like, like a Tennessee or, or or some of those type teams. They I think they got a little bit lucky with, with how Auburn played that situation. But with with Mikulski, I it's just my opinion that with with where they're at at the off to tackle spot on the roster currently and in recruiting for this year. I just think that you need to have a little bit lower bar for who you think can help this football team. Right. Um, and he's blown up a lot physically looks like, you know, he did like a Barry Bond style transformation of his body over the last 18 months. It's probably just called puberty and he, he looks great. And, and he's had some very, uh, very good results here early on, but Florida state offered him, but he's been committed to Louisville for, for several months. and. Uh, you know, with with no real visits likely to happen anytime soon because of the extension of the college football recruiting dead period through the end of the year, I I just kind of scratched my head on this one, and I, I kind of think, man, I, I don't know why they were waiting. Maybe they thought they had a better shot with some other offensive tackle targets than they did, or more likely, they just they weren't completely sold on what they saw. Uh, and now, you know, w- w- with how he looks earlier in the year, they're sold. And that, that's their right. Obviously, like I, I don't run Florida State's recruiting. And, you know, if, if they're not sold on something, then it's absolutely their right to, to wait. But, you know, I, if I was running, I, I would have, I would have offered this kid to uh, about, I don't know, five months ago. Been committed to, to Louisville since April uh, 25th. And as you said, with the situations as they are and some of the other schools that have are started to get involved with them, that's going to be a, a tough situation to see any kind of progress on like Ohio state, like Ohio state. That was kind of who I was referring to. Yeah. Now that's assuming that Ohio state would take him, which, you know, mm-hmm. it probably is going to depend on what else happens 
in Ohio State's class. I don't know that I'll necessarily make this like a regular facet or feature of the program, but I do, uh, you know, periodically I've been thinking about this and why don't we just maybe bring a, a name every other show or something like that. I want to, I want to give you somebody that you kind of put out on the radar there as Florida state is desperately in need of its tackles. And hopefully by the time uh, this kid comes up, the the need is somewhat <laughs> not quite as dire as it is right now, but uh, Julian Armella is a interesting prospect out of Miami, Florida class of 2022. His father was a defensive lineman on the 1993 national championship team. Uh, played at uh, STA for a couple years. It looks like he's transferred uh, to Columbus down there in Miami. So uh, intriguing kid, six foot six, three hundred pounds. Looks to be maybe not like a top five uh, player at the position, but very much uh, somebody that projects to be a real solid four star, uh, if not higher. So if you're uh, if you're desperately searching for the future solutions to some of the tackle problems, he's maybe somebody whose name I would put on your radar. Indeed. Uh, by the way, we talked about him. Like a year ago, he, or, well, not a year, this would have been uh, January of, J- January of 19. Uh, he, we actually had him in the uh, Adidas True Freshman Bowl down in Naples, Florida. Uh, and that, that's, that, that's where I first met him. Um, you know, pretty promising player and, and somebody that we know Florida State likes. And we'll, we'll see. He's not going to pick Florida State just because of of, of, of the you know, his dad's connection, uh, but you know certainly somebody that he he knows and is is familiar with. So we'll have to see how they can do on that one. But that, that is an example of a player that they like and, and could certainly help them, uh, you know, if if they're able to get him next year. You want to go to a little uh, little listener questions here? Caleb writes uh, first. Uh, my long time listener disclaimer. Well, Caleb basically says that. Uh, He's enjoyed what we've done, uh, both at the podcast and otherwise, and, and some of the work you've done, Bud, and uh, gives a nice shout out to Louisiana Hot Sauce. So always appreciated, but his questions go as father, go as, <laughs> his questions go as, uh, as further denounced. You both discussed scripted drives in the last episode. Can you give a brief explanation of how scripting works for the uninitiated? It seems to me that Jimbo's offenses were slow to start and the scripting was used not to score, but to find holes he could later exploit. With Browse and Norvell, the scripting seems to result in quick scores, but once the script is run, it is done and provides little benefit. Yeah, so I, I don't necessarily know that uh, that it provides little benefit, but I definitely think that they are trying to score. I also don't think that, that Jimbo would agree if, if you told him that you thought he was trying to not score uh, with, with his script. Uh, I, I think in effect, that's often what happened. Oftentimes what happened is, is his teams were very slow to start, except when he had, you know, Jameis Winston, but that's like, that's kind of also because I don't think he is really into designing shot plays. Whereas, uh, you know, Nor- Norvell and Bryles certainly are, are more into trying to scheme guys wide open, uh, as, as opposed to grinding you know, smaller advantages repeatedly. I would say uh, to agree with Caleb, I would say Jimbo was is much more likely to put something on on tape early to set something up to where Bryles and and uh, maybe Norvell are are more just going for you know going for the throat from from play one. Yeah, right, and and not in like a, a grab bag element, but they're they're definitely trying to go pedal the metal early on. So so how does a script work? Right, a script is basically a series of plays that you are going to rep a whole lot in practice that week. And in fact, you're going to run them in the same order every day in practice, probably a couple times per practice. You're going to go over them. You're going to understand. You're going to rep them in different situations, right? So, so maybe, maybe you have a play pass here on, on play number two after you had, a, you had a run on play one. And, and you know, one day in practice for the first time through, you're going, to, you're going to run the script and, oh, shoot, okay, it was incomplete. Let's go ahead and, and you know, we're going to run the next play. From here, with, with with this situation, uh, or oh, hey, it's complete. Let's 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 hurry up and and you know and do this. So with your script, the, the reason why I think it looks so good is because you're pretty comfortable at running uh, the script because you've repped those specific plays a whole lot in practice that week. You have a familiarity with what you're supposed to do. You've simulated that. You don't really have the ability to do that for every single play you're going to run in the game because you only have 20 hours a week in practice. Um, Florida State looked far better on their script than you know anybody else did. I, I think that's I think that's what Caleb wants us right to to discuss is 
know, kind of how a script is implemented. Oftentimes you're going to design plays that you think will, will work against a certain defense. I mean, that's kind of a duh statement, but, but you want to throw out some of your, some of your best hitters there. And you try to run them in conjunction with each other to throw them different looks because whether it's Jimbo or Bryles or, or, or Norvell, uh, you are still charting in there in the booth how defense is lined up against certain looks so that you can come back to it later. Uh, it, it, it's with all coaches, there is an element of information gathering early on in the game with looking at least how, how teams aligned, what personnel they decided to play. Do, you know, do, do, do they match personnel or, or do they leave three backers on the field against 11? Things like that. But yeah, that's basically, you know, how, how a script works. And you want your team to be very confident and come out and, and set the tone and, and come out and score. Second part of Caleb's question, uh, very different but interesting. Uh, Bud, your tone around the staff's recruiting prowess seems to be trending slightly more critical. I think the language has changed from will we have to evaluate how good the staff is at recruiting to Norvell will have to decide this offseason whether or not to bring in some hot recruiters. Are you less optimistic now about this staff's ability to recruit than you were initially? You know, I, I think this is a really good question from Caleb. I, I am not less optimistic about their ability to recruit. Uh, I'm a little bit less optimistic about their results because I think that this season will will not produce very good you know, results or, or a product to sell. I, I don't think that they're going to be able to tell recruits, hey, we're better than we were a year ago, right? Like, I, I, I don't. I, I think last year's team would beat this year's team. And I don't think they're going to show tangible progress on the field that recruits can actually appreciate. I mean, Florida State fans wearing garnet and gold glasses are like, oh, this team is more disciplined or, you know, whatever moral victory that they're going to you know, try to grasp onto. But if this team goes four and seven, uh, that's not something you can sell to recruits. And so, yeah, if the product that you have to sell is not as good, you may need to have a better quality of salesperson in order to achieve the results uh, that, that you want in making that sale. Yeah, tougher, uh, tougher situation, tougher landscape to make a sale as far as what you have to point at, and also a tougher landscape to to provide the situation where you know the the person's receptible to your message and uh, are able to receive your message. And it looks, I don't know, you you certainly have your finger on this more than I do, but it it looks like this is going to be nothing but an or, unorthodox uh, recruiting cycle pretty much until the end at this point. I mean, there is no light at the end of the tunnel that I'm aware of as far as on-campus visits, stuff like that. I just think all the things that, uh, you know, we thought that, that could be a benefit is, uh, is never really going to come to fruition and only be more of a liability when you're talking about a first-year staff. But we'll pause ever so shortly to thank our friends at Congruity. Great experience with them so far. I've been blown away by the number of people that have reached out uh, already. Matt Lewis would be a great asset. As you look to optimize and be as efficient as possible, uh, Congruity is experiencing your business optimized, highly customer HR solutions designed to enhance your brand, save time, save money, reduce business risk, meaningful outsourced HR for companies just like yours. Info at congruityhr.com or the preferred email address is the Knowles at congruityhr.com. Phone number 844-247-4100. Ask for Matt Lewis. Tell him you heard the, coming from the Nolcast, and uh, we're very excited about this partnership. So Herc says, uh, hey, Nolcast, uh, which would be less damaging to Florida State recruiting? Play all 11 games or cancel or slash opt out of the season? Which I, I my guess is he's not serious about this, but it is kind of an interesting discussion if, if you want to have it. Yeah, I mean, I would... I would somewhat entertain the idea. Obviously, this is this has some element of the absurd to it. But if you would tell me that traditional recruiting situations were possible and you could spend all of this time in-person recruiting kids and, and not even go full-blown youth movement, just go, you know, damn the torpedoes, full-blown future movement, uh, where you're not even worried about this year's games and then just trying to do everything possible to see what you can get out of the 21 class and then really lay the the groundwork to make 22 your cleanup class. If you are to have such a thing, uh, then maybe, maybe I would give this a couple minutes of consideration. Otherwise I, I think we're just kind of having, having a chuckle here. Yeah. But that you have to think about it all kind of, kind of says a lot about, about the way that this season you know could be trending 
especially because the, the schedule is front loaded with difficult games, with the exception of Georgia Tech, and you know they, they blew that one. So, uh, Christian asks, uh, "What's your all-time favorite FSU game that ESPN College College Game Day was on site for? Favorite memory against Miami? Go Knowles! I'm trying to be positive this week. Let's surprise some people. Thanks. Hope y'all are well." Christian, appreciate the kind words there. All right, so all-time favorite college game day game. I mean, the fact that Florida State was there at game one is going to be real tough for me to find another one. I mean, the Florida State-Notre Dame basically created this whole situation. And, uh, I mean, that was a a true game of the century that felt like, you know, obviously that's an overused term and you seem to have one about every 10 years or so. But that that was the single biggest game that I can remember ever as far as a hype goes. And, and for me, it would be hard to find another one. Okay, so you, st- you took mine. So now, now I'm going to have to look uh, and, and, and see if I can remember certain ones here. Florida State uh, has been on game day... 35? I think I saw that in the graphic. That, that's, that's a hell of a lot of times. See, going back here, they were not on game day. Uh, last year, they were not on game day in 2018. Uh, they were on game day in 2017 against Alabama. That is not uh, the one I wanted to pick. They were on game day in 2016 against Louisville, and they lost by 43, so I'm not going to pick that one. Hello, Lamar Jackson. Uh, obviously, game day for the Rose Bowl against Oregon. That's a no. I don't, do you remember the game day against Oklahoma State being particularly uh, memorable in Dallas? I, I do not. So Clemson at Florida State. In the 2014 year, when everybody really hated Florida State, you know, at the time, or Notre Dame at FSU, also in 2014, those were both pretty wild, you know, in the way they turned out. That that's that's the smag, you know. Oh my God, we got the ball back, and Notre Dame uh, not getting the call that they wanted, which I still think is a correct no call there, down at the goal line. You know, that 2012 game against Clemson was was pretty wild just in, in, in how much Florida State scored there. Oklahoma in a loss was actually a really wild game, like with how loud that got. And that was extremely frustrating uh, in, in that they, they did create some scoring chances and just could not cash them in. I think I could tell you definitively what my answer would be had a certain call not gone against Florida State. It would probably be the 2015 game day segment where uh, Bill Murray body slams Lee Corso. And, and I think that he might have actually, for a second there, I thought he might have killed him. So uh, that was hilarious and kind of disturbingly iconic all uh, in the moment. You knew that, uh, wow, this is <laughs> like, <laughs> you have a crazy actor who's, uh, who's you know, fully uh, professional wrestling moves against uh, someone who probably shouldn't have that being done to him. But it was uh, kind of disturbingly hilarious at the same time. I like that. Um, I'm, I'm going to go actually, man, we, we can't both pick ones where FSU lost. So I'm going to go ahead and pick, pick the game, the, the 2012 game over Oklahoma, just because that, that was, that was pretty electric. Was, uh, was Florida State Miami, uh, game day in 2013? I think it was. That would be, that would be one right there if we're, if we're going to choose one. Does it have to win. be in Tallahassee? Because if, if not, uh, the, the Florida State at Clemson, 51 14, uh, you know, just just walking around the right. door. Yeah, game. Yeah, that would be that would need to be on the list as well. Certainly. All right, your favorite memory against Miami? I, I, I'm a little kid <laughs> at the time, but the '93 win. I mean, there was there was so much. You know, you just kind of felt like you uh, like you were cursed, or that just craziness was going on, and and that was certainly a big game in the you know, and and ultimately this program getting their first national championship. So that's uh, that's what sticks out to me. I'm going to go 2005, and th- this is just an incredibly ugly game. That for FSU wins this game. It, it was the opening game of the year. They, they, they won it ten to seven. I think they, they sacked. Was it Brock Berlin they sacked or, uh, or or Kyle Wright? Like seven or eight times, maybe nine times. Just just an absolutely wild game. I, I can remember the like the next morning on ESPN they were all talking about. Oh my God! These two defenses are just the, like the, the best defenses in college football, and, and in fact, uh, not true. That uh, they were good defenses. They had a lot of NFL players on them, but really, it was just two terrible offenses. But uh, a, a wild game. This is also known, I believe, as the Miami Muff, where, where Miami 
Uh, they, they muff the snap and, and, and finally the canes mess up, uh, something. So that, that was, uh, that was pretty wild. Although the, the other, the other one, if you want to pick a Florida State win that is not the 93 one would, would be 2010. It was the Randy Shannon team that was supposed to be kind of the, the, the crowning team. That's a great call. I mean, that's, that's like, you know, you want to talk about kind of two programs diverging on different paths at that point in time. And, and certainly the recruiting implications that were tied to it. And Hey, look, when you run the same play twice and, and house it both for, you know, 78 yards or whatever it was, that is about as humiliating a sequence of events that can take place. And, uh, no, that's a great call. That's a great call. Uh, that that was that was fun. I'm glad you mentioned the, the, the Chris Thompson run it back there. All right, so uh, Matt asks us: Hey, a couple years ago when we entered the rebuild with Willie, our offensive line and Miami's offensive line were in similar states of disaster. By watching Miami play Louisville, I thought their line looked at least serviceable, if not above average. Miami's offensive line rebuild actually gone it much better than FSU's rebuild since then. Uh, what has been the difference in Miami's rebuild versus FSU's rebuild? Uh, what have they done differently, and why has it worked out better for them than FSU? Well, they have a little bit more continuity of coaching staff, right? They, they, they didn't go through three head coaches in a four-year span. Uh, they've had better injury luck, for sure, and they've recruited better. And they also have had more success in the transfer market, right? Florida State got Devontae Love-Taylor. They got, they, they, they got the Williams kid from Houston. And, uh, and last year, they took a transfer who actually did not work out. They're also running an offensive system that, as we saw last year with FSU, can really hide what you want to do with an offensive line. I don't think Mike Norvell's system hides the offensive line as well as, as the, you know, the Bryles system does. It doesn't use tempo quite as much as that. So I, I don't think that what FSU is currently running is as friendly for its offensive line deficiencies as what Miami has. Uh, Miami also has an extremely mobile quarterback, which makes their offensive line look a lot better. I mean, they have a kid back there in King who is legitimate, legitimately athletic enough to play receiver if he wanted to, uh, which, which helps them look better. So tempo running the ball well and, uh, and having a super athletic quarterback all, all can really help. I'm, I'm not sure I have a lot to add to that, to be honest with you. I think you, you more or less uh, encapsulated what I was going to say in, in probably in a, a more expedient manner. Uh, the same Matt asked us another question without thinking much, I'd guess Miami wins 27 to 13 this Saturday after watching the Louisville game, I feel more hopeful for Florida State, given Louisville had some success against Manny Diaz's defense, what things from that performance give you optimism for Florida State's offense, and what things do not translate this Saturday? Uh, well, <laughs> Matt, I watched that, and I, I actually have, you know, I, I have more optimism for Florida State's defense, uh, and maybe that's the easier subject matter uh, to talk about. I mean, I, I think Louisville just had some. You know, as, as we already talked about, we talked about the chunk plays. We talked about what, how much of a difference you get if you take away three plays from Miami. Uh, I think Florida State will will make Miami earn plays. I also think you know you don't. You've got an awful lot of uh, you know Marvin Wilson uh, didn't come back to like not try to have a successful season. I mean, I, I think you're going to have uh, a real push. My concern is that you have a real push and and you know, kind of what we saw happen to Miami for many years after losing to Florida State, that uh, you have that push and then, you know, maybe some guys either reconsider or you have a hard time having the focus from that. But I I think you'll get an exceptional uh, level of effort and there's a lot of pride on the line and anytime you talk about a rivalry game, but I think, uh, you know, we'll get into this more in the actual preview, but I think Florida State fans will will see a, you know, a team that, uh, that gives it all and, and plays it maybe a little bit higher of a level than, than some in the fan base expect from Saturday night. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. I, I, think, I think they will show a good effort. So specifically some other things that, that might give you optimism from that game, and I agree, we, we will speak more about that in the preview. I would say some things that gave me some optimism is that Louisville's defense is not any good. I'm, I'm pretty damn sure that FSU's defense is better than Louisville's, right? I'm not. I'm not. I'm not convinced it's that much better than UAB's. I think UAB is a really salty defense, and people gave me a lot of shit on Twitter. By the way, when, when I was saying that like UAB's defense was better than about half the teams that Miami would face in the ACC this year, given you know, who is not on their schedule, uh, and I'm I'm looking like I'm one for one so far on, on that. Uh, I will point that out. However, uh, Miami's success rate running the ball. I just found this. 
only one out of five rushing plays for Miami on average was successful, basically. Like that, that's very poor. Uh, Miami's 5.6 yards per carry in this game uh, are, are quite misleading because they had a 75-yard run. That's obviously going to, to jack up your, your rushing yards. They also had a 38-yard run and an 18-yard run. That's almost all of their rushing total in this game. Miami's offensive line repeatedly struggled to block Louisville's front, and Louisville's front is not very good. Uh, the thing was, like we talked about earlier with magnitude, when Louisville gave up a big play, it wasn't just a big play. It was a huge play. It was like, oh, we gave up a 30-yarder. No, we gave up a 75-yarder twice. Cause, and, and twice on those, there was no other player. Untouched. Untouched. On the field, in the camera. Like, it was, it was like, like you could have said, okay, is this an actual game? Because there's no fans in the stands. You couldn't really tell when it panned out. It's like, okay, is this from warm-ups or is this from the actual game? Because there's nobody else around this dude. So Miami's inability to run the football consistently against Louisville, I, I would say, uh, was, was something that if you want to be positive about it, you, you can take that away. I will also tell you that uh, Miami's third down success in this game is unsustainable against FSU. It's unsustainable if they played Louisville again, I'm pretty sure that they, w- they would not have this level, level of success. Uh, Ingram, their average third down, third down distance in this game for Miami was 11.1 yards. That is enormous. And yet I look at this, they, they had six conversions on, on 13 tries on third down. Sure, they, they, they converted the third and one, no problem. But here's what else they converted. They converted a third and 14. They converted a third and 11. They, created, you know, they converted a third and six, whatever. They converted a third and 12 for a touchdown. That is not sustainable against even an average defense. It's just not. Teams don't do that. Well, I take that back. LSU last year kind of had a knack for doing that. And the teams who have a knack for doing that typically have like first round tremendous throwing quarterbacks. Jameis was actually really good at this too. Uh, and, and Clemson occasionally uh, can play with fire with, with, with Trevor Lawrence and, and get away with this. Miami is not set up to do this. And there is an element of luck in that game. So if you really just want me to go kind of full, you know, FSU walk here, yeah, that's unsustainable for Miami. Uh, and it ties into their lack of success running the football as far as setting up down a distance, uh, which are favorable. Uh, other things, Louisville had a 47% success rate running the football. Now, I don't think Florida State's, I don't think, I, I know that FSU's run game is not as good as Louisville's. But I will point out a couple of things here. Number one, Miami has been an elite defense under Manny Diaz for quite a while now. And this is not something that they've allowed. So if, if you're looking for cracks in this armor, this could be one of them that they allowed a little too much success running the football on a down-to-down basis to Louisville as far as allowing success, successful runs to happen. They're not the most gap-sound team. They do have a decent number of injuries right now. In the secondary, I think that I would be a little bit more bullish on FSU's chances if I was convinced that Miami was going to have to blitz to get pressure on the Knolls and thus expose their secondary to more one-on-one situations. However, I, I am not convinced of that. I, I don't think that, that Miami will have to blitz all that much to get pressure on FSU. So yeah, th- those are some things that I think are, uh, are pretty noteworthy. Second, the last question comes from uh, Brian tonight. He asks, take it or leave it. I interpret this to be a season number, uh, bud. Take it or leave it. Do you have the over-under at uh, 20 pass attempts by Jordan Travis? How many, how many did, he get, did, did he get against uh, against Georgia Tech? Three? I think he just tried to throw that one ball. If I'm, maybe, I'm, maybe I'm mistaken. By the way, do, do you feel like it's kind of rude to have Booger still involved in Monday Night Football, but not not actually allow him on the field? Like they have him in the Monday Night Football. I'm, I'm just I have this in the background as I'm looking at the stat up. Like they they have him in the Monday Night Football halftime show with Adam Schefter. Like that's kind of I think it's uh I think it's an awkward situation. Certainly, it looks like from what I see, it was just one one pass. Yeah. So he needs to get 19 more passes in the remaining 10 games. I guess I'll take the over, but I, I don't feel great about that. Yeah, I'm probably the same. I mean, if 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 you have any kind of injury at all, it just happens 
uh, almost immediately. And I think that Travis is enough that he'll be kind of in the rotation throughout the course of the season. So, yeah, I'll take the over. Oh, my God. Both of San Francisco's defensive ends tore their ACLs on back-to-back plays. I saw that. I saw that. Talk talk about going through that's crazy. Concentrated absence. All right. So last question here. My, my apologies. I, I just that, that kind of stuck out to me as being wild. So do you anticipate FSU playing more zone coverage this week in an attempt to limit the scrambling ability of King? I don't think our linebackers will have much success spying on him on him and trying to make plays in the open field. This is from Derek. You know, honestly, I, I think the plan could be similar to what we saw against Georgia Tech in that I, I'm pretty sure FSU thought if if Sims was starting that he was going to be running quite a bit because he is a pretty mobile quarterback. That they're just going to have to find a way to execute that plan a little bit better. Uh, that doesn't mean you're going to play all zone. You, you can play a decent amount of man coverage with, with some you know, zone stuff mixed in. You, you definitely ha- have to make Miami slow down a little bit and eat the ball at times, get him like get the air King going to a second and third option. There's a good clip of him out there actually doing that in, in the Louisville game. But still, you, you want him doing that more consistently. And I think you have to challenge Miami's receivers and see if they can beat you making plays one-on-one. So far this year, they have not done so. Now, they probably do, right? Just like here on this podcast, we don't think that Warren Thompson and Tamari and Terry are going to drop every single ball for the rest of the time. Miami podcasts are probably saying, look, Mark Pope at some point will catch a ball this year. Okay, m- maybe a couple. But still, I think both sides are entering this game saying, all right, prove it. Like you guys are all a bunch of hype so far, but but no production. FSU's receivers, Miami's receivers. We're going to challenge you on the outside until you prove you can actually beat us with it. With with Hobson Asherdeen uh, being listed in the depth chart, by the way, I I do think that is potentially going to help increase what what they might be able to run. Oh, it, I mean, if if you can get Asherdeen, it's obviously a major impact. The fact that you have you know one of your more uh, explosive defensive players and and one of the few guys that you have that projects to having a, a career on Sundays, but um, he, he lets you do so much with with your other pieces as well. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I would expect, you know, a lot of what Miami's uh, success has had has been either broken plays or just massive chunk plays, and wouldn't shock me to see the use of uh, of some of your more, your more fluid athletes as situational spies and just anything to make Miami absolutely earn it and make some of the kids that you talked about catch the ball and, and just be methodical. And in uh, what they have to do because uh, they, they've had some success, but I don't know that they've had a, a ton of sustained drives, and uh, that's something that I expect Florida State to do. You know, make them earn it in whatever way possible. And, and yeah, I think you'll see some kind of uh, you know a decent amount of concepts that have some kind of spy involved. All right, man, enjoyed it. Uh, we will be back with the FSU Miami preview pretty soon. We will absolutely. Uh, so thank you to all of the sponsors who make the Nolcast possible. Thank you to you, the listener. If you have a chance to give us a five-star review, it is uh, very much appreciated, I can assure you. And uh, with that, we will be back in a couple of days to do what the final part of this podcast kind of felt like, and that is to do our full-blown Miami preview. So until then, thank you. This has been the Nolcast. But we'll pause ever so shortly to thank our friends at Congruity. Great experience with them so far. Been blown away by the number of people that have reached out uh, already. Matt Lewis would be a great asset. As you look to optimize and be as efficient as possible, uh, Congruity is experiencing your business optimized, highly customer HR solutions designed to enhance your brand, save time, save money, reduce business risk, meaningful outsourced HR for companies just like yours. Info at congruityhr.com or the preferred email address is the Knowles at congruityhr.com. Phone number 844-247-4100. Ask for Matt Lewis. Tell him you heard the coming from the Knollcast. And uh, we're very excited about this partnership. This has been the Knollcast. The Knollcast is created and hosted by Bud Elliott and Ingram Smith. Music by Judson Wright and produced by Justin Robinson. Go Knowles. Thank you.